Okay, back here in studio with uh, Representative David Eastman. How you doing? Doing all right. This is a uh, second time on the podcast. I think it was a couple, two, three years ago in Juneau. We were in your office, remember? I remember. Yeah, been a while. Before I had my little office in Juneau. Um, well, I'm happy you're here uh, talking. Uh, you've been in the news lately as of last week um, with this decision from a judge about this uh, lawsuit against you. And I want to talk about that. I'm glad you're here talking about it because I think, I think this is a really important uh, dangerous precedent this could set, um, you know, a First Amendment problem. And I'm, you know, people know me, I'm a kind of free speech, First Amendment absolutist. I sued the governor over press access. I really believe the First Amendment is an absolute. You believe in it or you don't. It is. And unfortunately, uh, not everyone sees that way. But I think it's very important today. So for the folks listening, uh, Randall Kowaki, who used to be on the um, Matsuboro Assembly, he's run for state senate. Um, against Mike Shower in 2018, he's a political person. Uh, he filed a suit against you. Um, and actually, bef- it goes before that. There was somebody who had petitioned the Division of Elections, I guess, about saying you were not qualified to, to be a candidate because you're a member um, of this Oath Keepers. And there's a provision in the last constitution that, that goes back to the 1950s and kind of communism and the Red Scare. And it says if you're you know, part of a group that... Uh, is against the government or wants to overthrow the government, you can't run for office in Alaska. And this is something that's not in other constitutions. It was, you know, Alaska became a state. It could be in the Hawaii one, I'm not sure. But Alaska became a state quite late. And this has never been tested or, or even really contemplated. And, you know, me and a lot of people believe this violates the, the First Amendment of the, of the U.S. Constitution about free speech and free association. So I guess maybe talk about when this first started, um, and then this decision the judge made where he basically said he didn't find in favor, but he said the merits looks like they could be there and there's still a trial that's going to be in, I guess, December, but the election's in November. So I know it's a lot to unpack, but maybe kind of start from the beginning and how, how we got here. Sure. Well, um, we got here starting last year and, uh, there was a petition that was being put around even before I took office, actually, saying that, uh, yes, I had won my election, but uh, I should be expelled anyways, um, and so shouldn't be allowed to, to serve in the government, should resign, and so forth. And I think that, uh, as much as anything, is what has led up to this particular case. Um, and I see it as a, a direct attack, not just against me personally, but against every member of my district. Um, the election process in my district, uh, I did have a Democrat opponent. Um, I prevailed in, in the election um, by a substantial uh, amount. And well, you, you uh, had a Republican primary opponent, too, who's running. Oh, oh, yeah. He's running now. You guys got moved out of the district with redistricting, but he's on the Jesse Sumner on the Matt Subaru Assembly. And, and he was supported by some Republicans that, you know, wanted you gone. And you still won. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of this has to do with they've tried to beat you politically. You keep you keep winning. You've, I think, been there since 2016. They've tried in the legislature to expel you. They haven't been able to do that. They've tried to, you know, censure you or do th- certain things, but they haven't, you know, been able to get rid of you politically. So now it's like, well, let's go to the courts. Yeah, well, there's a, a, a fundamental disagreement, and this may seem, um, you know, unnecessary to, to unpackage, but but basically the, the disagreement is whether, uh, you know, those in, in my district have the ability to have their concerns and, and perspectives heard in government. Uh, and, um, you know, those in, in Juneau or Anchorage might think that those concerns are uh, uh, 
uh, are silly or foolish or, or even, you know, just plain, you know, wrong. But uh, under our Constitution, the way it's currently written, they have a right to be represented uh, in government, to have those concerns uh, given a voice, and they have the opportunity to make that decision. And those in Juneau or Anchorage, or you know, the, the five legislators from Anchorage that were campaigning in my district, uh, you know, telling voters not to, to vote for me, um, you know, Anchorage can elect their representatives, and uh, those in, in Wasilla and Meadow Lakes, where, where I live, um, those voters, myself, we ought to be able to choose our own representative, regardless of whether Juneau or Anchorage, you know, have a different opinion. So, so when now this Oath Keepers thing, I think a year, a couple of years ago, the, the membership list came out. Um, I guess talk about what, I mean, they've been in the news a lot. This guy, um, I forget his name, the head guy, he's, he's having a trial with, they were, you know, some of them were at the January 6th kind of insurrection and you were there too, but you weren't, you, you weren't ever charged with anything. You didn't go in the Capitol. You were just in DC at, yeah. on January 6th with, with it, a lot of, a lot of people who, who didn't go in the Capitol, the ones who did, I think, you know, I, I feel that's very bad and they should be all be punished for that. But yeah, for, for those who, who weren't there, I would just remind you, there were about a million Americans that went to Washington, D.C. Uh, and about a million Americans uh, didn't, you know, break any laws or, or have any kind of engagement with uh, law enforcement. Uh, and uh, about a million Americans are, are being told that they were wrong for going uh, and that they're, you know, somehow associated with wrongdoing uh, simply for being there, like myself, uh, going to hear the president speak. And you find that coming out in this lawsuit, the fact that, you know, I uh, went uh, on behalf of myself and, and some in my district to uh, be there with the president. You know, that's somehow an evidence of wrongdoing on my part. And I think that is uh, illustrative of just how dangerous a moment in, in our nation's history we're at right now, where just going to a political event um, is now somehow, you know, criminal or uh, nefarious or, you know, can be used as evidence against you in, in court or people try to. So, so to talk a little bit about what is the Oath Keepers and, and why did you uh, join? And this is kind of the pretext of how they're, what, why they're saying you're not qualified is because you're a member of, of this Oath Keepers group. Yeah, in, in 2009, um, you know, there was a group forming and, and the, the gist of it was if you've taken an oath to the United States Constitution as a, a military officer or as a, a law enforcement uh, official, that you should recognize that that oath, um, you know, continues on and, and you should personally be bound by it. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And uh, that was why I joined uh, it wasn't a political decision because it wasn't ever anything I uh, announced to anyone publicly or, or made it part of a campaign or anything like that. Uh, it just seems to make a whole lot of sense to me. If you um, took an oath, you know, you agreed to be bound by that. And, and if there are others who think likewise, then uh, I'm glad to support them in doing so. It's interesting. You know, somebody had, had said on, I think, Twitter that, you know, and, and I agreed with this. They said the ACLU acting on their former kind of principles should be eager to represent you on this case. They aren't. I mean, they won't because they've, I think, changed their, their viewpoint a lot. But, I mean, in the 70s, and this is something I wholeheartedly, you know, kind of am opposed to the idea, but I support their right. You know, the the Klan wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois, a predominantly Jewish part of Illinois. And the ACLU, you actually defended them at the time, which is today, I mean, almost an unheard of kind of concept. Um, but, but, but you're, you know, the text pretext of this is your membership in this Oath Keepers, they say, because this, I forget the guy's name. I, I can't remember his name, but the head guy, he's, uh, you know, having a trial and some of them were in, in DC for January 6th. That your membership in this, you know, disqualifies you from serving in the Alaska legislature based on this 
constitutional provision in the last constitution, which to me, I mean, it's just, it's so clear about the First Amendment, the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment free speech and kind of free association, that it's just wild to me that how many people I see that are like cheering or excited or, because to me, the precedent this sets is like, who's next? I mean, what if, what group is somebody in that the government in power at the time doesn't like, and they want to use that to, to disqualify them from even not just running, but, but being able to run, you know? Sure. Well, uh, you know, as, as I sit back, you know, having run for office before and currently being a candidate for office, we do have laws on, on how you go about running for office uh, and how you go about opposing someone who's running for office. Uh, and right now what you're seeing in this case is our Constitution is being abused and used as a pretext uh, to oppose someone's run for office. And, and it's very clear when you look back at the fact that this campaign started before anyone even knew I was a member of Oath Keepers because the data breach hadn't happened. Uh, you know, Oath Keepers was a thing, but, you know, its membership wasn't, uh, you know, any kind of public issue. And, and yet they were telling me that, uh, you know, I needed to leave the legislature. I was there on January 6th. Um, and so when you fast forward to today, since that effort failed uh, publicly and in the legislature, and now after losing that effort and the you know, campaign goes forward, and now, um, you know, the same people, some of them, are asking a judge to now, in essence, throw out not only the election in December of 2020, which I won. Uh, they want that gone. They no, want no, to November. be replaced by somebody else. Yes, uh, but now also the August primary again. You know, and and that I also was um, fortunate to prevail in that election. But they want to cancel that election and know the results of that election as well. So I mean, again, they're they're using the Constitution to kind of try and get their foot in the door in court. But uh, again, this is this is a political issue. This is an election issue. Um, those that opposed my candidacy in 2020 lost and, and lost by a lot. Uh, and then they came back even before I was sworn into office saying, um, you know, no, the voters basically, you know, made a bad decision. So we want the legislature to step in and um, annul that and, and expel me and so forth. Um, so, uh, again, I see it simply as an attack on our electoral process. It's an attack on the right of the people in my district to speak for themselves about who they want to be their voice in the House of Representatives in Juneau. And, uh, you know, it might seem like, well, gosh, that should be a really easy, you know, thing to uh, to come down on. There's an American position on that. Our Constitution has a position on that. I um, mean, it's fairly classical uh, American freedom argument. But, but there are those, um, you know, in our state capital who really believe that, you know, they ought to have a say in who comes out of Wasilla in, in the legislature. I mean, you see well, if, some if, of them in my race, you know, trying to tell people how to vote. Well, if even, you know, Libby Bacalar, who's probably as far away from you as possible, who's a lawyer, even she's acknowledged that this probably ha has a, it runs up against the First Amendment, this, 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 I, this provision in the Constitution. So what I was going to ask you is, I mean, I think you and I, I, I I'd say safely politically, we're you know, kind of far apart and Sometimes your tactics in Juno, I think people get frustrated. But why do you think so many people, instead of, you know, dealing, like you said, dealing with this politically, want to find other ways to deal with it? Why, why, why are they so, you know, so against working with you or dealing with you or, um, you know, kind of accepting that you're there and you're, you're a member, like you said, elected by your, by your district? Yeah. You know, in, in Juno, I'd like to think, you know, before I came along that there was, um, a, a baseline level of respect that you accorded to an elected legislator 
um, not because they were right uh, or not because they you know, had the right connections or not because, you know, they were particularly, um, you know, well-spoken or, you know, even, you know, said anything worth listening to, but you respected them simply because the people uh, in their part of the state had chosen uh, and elected them. And, and that was enough. And, and even if, you know, you know, someone like Les Guerra, who I probably could not, uh, you know, disagree with less politically, um, we could have a conversation, you know, as legislators in the House, um, coming from different parties, coming from different parts of the state, coming from completely different ideologies, and yet you could still have that level of respect, even though, you know, we, we fought politically, um, you know, in speeches, in, in how we voted, and so forth, and, and that was, you know, the expectation I like to think at some point, but at some point that changed. And at some point, um, I think there was a transition to we as, as legislature, um, you know, want to agree on certain things and, and we can't agree on certain things if we let all legislators actually speak their mind and they might speak, you know, against, what, uh, you know, the, the consensus that we're trying to achieve is. And, and wouldn't it be more efficient and wouldn't it be um, easier for everyone if we just agreed that we're not going to listen to certain legislators or people that come from a particular viewpoint? And, and that whole idea, I think, has, um, has taken hold um, in a much greater way than it has in other well, legislatures. One of the things I observed was when uh, Bryce Edgman became a speaker. Um, he had, you know, gotten frustrated with you for various reasons and this kind of idea. And, and Stutes has, has also kind of gone down this path of, of limiting not just you, but everybody, but I mean, specifically you on what you say, when you can say it. And I mean, people have told me this, they, they get frustrated with your understanding of the rules and they, they don't like that, you know, you can manipulate the process sometimes because of your understanding of the legislative rules and, and procedures. But Mike Chenault, you know, who was a speaker for eight years, told me um, he would let people speak for as long as they want, speak for speak for hours if you want. And sometimes they would go till three or four in the morning. And he said, you know, people can say whatever they want. The opposition has that right. And then we vote. And and whether it's a personality thing, I mean, Speaker Edgman, he was there four years. I mean, he, it was visible that he didn't want you to speak or that he tried to limit your ability to speak. And I mean, maybe that is the pretext for some of this where you know, why is he speaking? And, you know, this kind of awkwardness started. I mean, is that, would you say that's fair? Yeah. You know, and, and Chenault had come down from being speaker, you know, right at the time that, that I was elected. So I never was in the legislature to, uh, you know, experience what he's talking about, but I've certainly heard about it. And you so, were there for one term with him, right? He was not yes. speaker, but he wasn't still in the yes, legislature. Exactly. He was the minority whip at the time. Um, and, and so, a lot of that experience was still in the legislature and there were you know, plenty of people who had been there and, and could talk about it and talk about the fact that, you know, gosh, the, the minority when it was uh, a Democrat minority, you know, would put all sorts of amendments forward on, on the budget, for example. And, and gosh, you know, wasn't that a time consuming endeavor and, and, but there was no, well, let's come up with a way to manipulate it so that we can rule, you know, their amendments to the budget as being, um, you know, irrelevant or something that we don't have to listen to. Um, and, and now we've come, you know, uh, a few more steps down that process. And I don't know that it's, it's because of any particular party. I, I, I know legislators on both parties that, you know, are kind of um, 
on board with the idea of, well, we've decided ahead of the vote and ahead of the debate and ahead of the discussion what we're going to do, so why should we have to listen to anyone who has a different opinion? And that is not the way our process is structured. That's not the way our Constitution is written. That's not the way that... Um, you know, we uh, have in our, our uniform rules in the legislature. Uh, and if if they want to move forward and do that, then I think that under our, our process, there's a requirement that they change either our constitution or our rules or both to accomplish that so that they can do it legally and appropriately rather than simply saying, well, we think it's more efficient if we don't listen to someone from the Matsu because, well, they're in the minority and, um, you know, Anchorage and Fairbanks or Anchorage and Juneau or Anchorage and some other part of the, the state have gotten together and said, you know, well, we have enough votes, so uh, we're just not going to let anybody say anything that we don't agree with. And, you know, you, you absolutely, when you have the vote, you can do things. But the question is, you know, what, what, what is that? What are the impacts of that in the future? Um, when things change, but also, I mean, it's all spelled out, you know, the percentages of the minority, how many positions they get on the committees. I mean, there, there's a, like you said, there's a process in place and there's a minority for a reason. And it, it has gotten, especially in the house well, the Senate, Senate too has been kind of, they've had a different kind of problem where they've, their minority, their majority hasn't been as clear. Um, and it's been real messy, but it's supposed to be kind of messy. You know, that's how the thing was built. It, it hasn't. And, but you know, in the, the Senate and I, I, don't often say great things about the Senate because I think you know, they, there's a lot of things that they get wrong. But to their credit, they actually do a better job of reading, you know, the, the, the limitations uh, on what they can and can't do uh, and, and sticking to it. Um, and, and sometimes they have to be creative in accomplishing their political objectives while, you know, sticking to the, the letter of the law that's before them. So for, for the, the House, I would say, um, look to the Senate as far as that goes and and be better at understanding, you know, what is the box that we as legislators are expected to operate in. And within that box, man, you know, go for it. Uh, put forward your proposals. And if your proposal is to, um, you know, do something that, uh, you know, my constituents or I are opposed to, by all means, you have that right. Uh, and I will certainly, you know, oppose those, you know, with every, you know, ounce of, of uh, being that I have. But, um but we can operate together in, in a way in which legislators are uh, respected, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're smart or, or foolish. Um, they can operate together and, and move forward as a state without saying, well, this part of the state, you know, well, they just don't need to be heard from. So, so getting back to this, um, this trial or, or, or this um, lawsuit, you're, you're represented by Joe Miller, who's run for, you know, Lisa Murkowski in 2010, been around. Um, now, when I sued the governor over press access, which was also a First Amendment uh, situation, I luckily had pro bono lawyers who, they were, I won, we prevailed, so they were able to recover some money. I mean, I, I, are you having, is he helping you pro bono, or do you have to pay him? Because I know these are very expensive, these kind of situations where you have to spend a lot of time, you know, on a, on a case. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that also goes back to, um, you know, why it is I'm in court right now in the middle uh, of a, an election <laughs> and in that's the a good point. Yeah, that's of, a good. A, of a campaign, you know, I'm being asked, uh, in fact, ordered to, you know, make appearances in court to, in this case, hire an attorney uh, to somehow come up with the funds to pay that attorney, uh, all of which take away from my ability to fundraise and, and spend time going door to door and talking with voters in my district. Um, this is not a particular case that, that, could or or should have come up now. 
um, you know, my campaign, my filing my little letter of office uh, intent to file was over a year ago. Uh, well, uh, end of last year. And at any point since December of last year, if there was a concern that, well, gosh, you know, this this kind of candidate shouldn't be, um, you know, on the ballot or, or this particular legislator shouldn't be serving in office, um, nothing well, has I changed mean, since January of last year. Someone tried, I mean, they tried, I guess, with a division after the filing deadline. Wasn't there an attempt to, and then the division of election said, no, he's, he's, they found you qualified. Yeah. And, and at that time, you know, there's a timeline for, for filing appeals and so forth. Um, all those appeals deadlines expired. Um, and then after that is when the lawsuit was filed. The, and then the, after that, there was this, you know, idea, well, he needs to be off the ballot. So we're going to file a preliminary injunction. None of that happened uh, early on in the process. So should this court case, um, you know, be happening Right now, no. Uh, if it was a legitimate argument uh, dealing with the Constitution rather than simply just a pretext to go after someone during a campaign, then it would have been filed last year or, or several months before it actually was filed. Yeah, and, and um, the, the craziest thing about the, the ruling is, it, you know, they haven't, the judge hasn't ruled in favor of them. He's basically said that based on what he's seen preliminarily, they might have, they have merit um, and then not, you know, he ordered the division not to certify the election until after the trial. And if you were to lose, it sounds like they would kind of pick the runner up. Um, to su- suffice it to say, which is, which is, I mean, to me, like the, ins- the insanity of that kind of idea is, is, is huge. Well, we have a law. It says, you know, how the election is supposed to be run. It says when certification is supposed to take place and in the judge's latest order, uh, he set all that aside and said that he's got a new idea for how elections should take place. And in, in my case, um, so following the law is is apparently not. C- can you appeal his? I mean, case. can you appeal his ruling right now? I mean, are you, is that something you can do? Or I, I know I'm not going to ask you a strategy because I've been there too. And yeah, you know. there's there's you know reconsideration motions, there's uh, appeals to the Supreme Court and so forth, all, all of which you know involve time and and money um, and uncertain outcomes. So. Yeah, there's, there's questions of, of legal strategy, so I won't get into that. But I would simply say um, no one even in the case, not me, not my opponent, um, even asked for that law to be set aside uh, in that way. He simply, as a judge, just decided that it seemed like a good idea for him. And, and, and whether I was in the case or, or not, I would say that that is what I am fundamentally fighting against politically is whether they're legislators or judges or the governor who, who looks at the law and says, well, you know, um, I don't care. I mean, I'm going to do it a different they, way. They asked to basically say you were disqualified and take you off the ballot. He said, well, I'm not going to do that, but, but I am going to say they might have merit. So we're going to not certify this race until, I mean, it should be certified. There's a, there's actually a date of certification, which I think is early December um, it's, it's, you know, so many weeks after the election. So, so your, your election of the 59 legislative seats, yours won't be certified when, when all the, all the, all the, all the other 58 will until this, I guess, try, is the trial set for December? Well, you know, that, that is what the judge, uh, ordered. Um, I, I don't anticipate that it will actually work out that way. Uh, I certainly hope not because again, that is, that is fundamentally taking away the right of, of every voter in my district to have an election that uh, proceeds according to the law. And um, there is nothing in our Constitution that 
gives any authority to the governor or to APOC or the Division of Elections or, or anyone in the judiciary to set aside an election. And, and you've got many, many, many examples of uh, other states who've recognized that, you know, uh, not too long ago, uh, or actually rather, you know, a few decades ago, but not, not long in our nation's history, um, you had a legislator in another state that was elected and was uh, accused of you know, not, uh, not being supportive of the Vietnam War. Uh, and so for, for that, um, they didn't want to, to seat him uh, as a legislator. And in that situation, no one ever thought that they had the um, authority or the right to take away from the people the right to elect that legislator. They were elected, and then they dealt with the process afterwards. Um, and so in that case, because it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, the legislator was elected three different times, again, because the people wanted that person uh, to be in office as the you know, process went forward. Um, why, in this case, in, in our state, of all states, uh, someone would think that we can take away from the people the ability to make that choice um, the ability to vote for, you know, whomever it is that, that they choose is, is astonishing. What, what, what would you say to, and, you know, I, I agree with that, but what would you say to the, to, to the people who might say, well, people in Congress and there was a big group of people that tried to stop or overturn the presidential um, election in, in 2020 between Trump and Biden. I mean, that was also an attempt uh, in, in the end politically by the, by the Congress to try and stop the, the certification yeah, well, I, I would go back, and again, history is, is a good guide here. There has not been a case this century where a Republican candidate uh, for president has not had, um, you know, their candidacy for president um, when they were elected president has not also at the same time had Democrat members of Congress come out and officially uh, vote to set aside, you know, their electoral college results and to change them and so forth. Um, the process exists and it has a way to object. Uh, some of those in Congress objected to uh, Biden's, um, you know, election as president. But that is not the first time that that's happened. It's not the first time Republicans have cha uh, challenged a candidate. And if you go back again, you cannot find a single Republican president this entire century that has not had and been on the receiving end of that exact same thing from Democrats in Congress. So going back to your case, um, you know, if, if, if they were to prevail, and this is what I've written about and said, the precedent here I think is so um, dangerous as far as, who, you know, who you associate with and how that can impact your ability to be just even allowed to run. Um, I mean, the, the ultimate, if, you, if they were to prevail here in, in the trial, the ultimate, I would say, conclusion of this could, could be, you know, a Supreme Court, uh, U.S. Supreme Court ruling potentially on, on this case. I mean, and that, again, very expensive, very time consuming. But I guess, I mean, where do you where do you see this maybe going in the worst case scenario? And then I guess the best case scenario is you win and then it's it's you, you win the election and you win the trial and then you go, you know, back to Juno. I might, you know, honestly, the the way it's supposed to go, a candidate wins a primary election, a candidate wins a general election, and they sit in the legislature because they're elected to, to sit in that seat. Um, now you've got a new process, uh, which is being proposed in my case, where you win a primary election, you win a general election, then you have to win a court case, and then you get to sit in, and serve in the legislature. And and should someone from my district, you know, have to, to go through that uh, because, 
You know, someone's opposed to their candidacy? No. Should that happen to uh, a Democrat candidate in Juneau? No. That, that is not a precedent that we want to set. Um, it can only help those who, um, you know, have access to uh, law firms that can fund legal challenges uh, against their political opponents. And if, if we permit that to go forward, um, you know, regardless of what the outcome of the case is, because, I mean, again, this, you know, all, all assumes that, uh, you know, someone actually is successful in, in prevailing against that kind of lawsuit, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat. Um, but if we allow that to go forward, then what we're doing is we're allowing, uh, you know, law firms in a set, uh, um, in essentially, and, and those who have access to law firms to create an entirely different barrier to entry for their political opponents. You know, those that they support only have to win the primary and the general, but those that they oppose have to win uh, a lawsuit and a, and a trial and a court, you know, case on top of that, all of which takes time and money away from campaigning. Do, do you think... Do you have any sense um, that Randall Kowaki was this his idea and he found lawyers? Or do you think it was people searching for a plaintiff and they said, oh, well, Randall Kowaki's a good person. You know, he lives there or whatever. Do you have any idea of if it came from him or if it came from other people? You know, uh, I haven't had anyone, you know, talking to me explaining, you know, why uh, they chose to, to do the things that they did. So I can only look at it from the outside and, and say that, again, this is, you know, something that um, individuals outside of my district, uh, started over a year ago and have been pursuing, uh, you know, for what, about 18 months now. Um, and now, it, you know, it involves this election. Previously, it involved the last election. So now they have a, a lawsuit that's trying to, to do both. Uh, again, uh, overturn the 2020 election uh, and make sure that, you know, if I do get elected in November, that they overturn that one as well. So um, is that something that, that helps our, our state? Uh, no. Is that something that honors our Constitution and our current laws? No. Uh, is that something that we should create a precedent for and encourage people to be doing? Absolutely not. Does it? What do you think? Does it concern you? And, and this is something that concerns me greatly, whether it's your election or, or Trump or whoever, this idea that people don't really trust, believe in, or want to change the outcome of elections. I mean, to me, in a democracy, you can't live in a democracy where people don't, you know, accept the results of I mean, elections. This is a very dangerous place we're going. I mean, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, um, Bill Gates put out a statement, I think it was earlier this week. I heard about it yesterday where, you know, he was very clear, uh, without any, you know, qualifications or caveats that he expects, um, and that there will be a hung election, um, you know, here, uh, shortly at the federal level and that there will be a civil war. And this is how about like it for, for the midterms coming up. Um, I think that's what it was in reference to. Um, I'd have to go back and, and look at the particular I mean, phrase. I, I, at, I, I think, you know, just to interrupt, I think definitely there's a potential for something big to happen in 2024 with whoever's running for president. Sure. You know, when half the country says, I don't believe in it, whatever side, you know, that, that that's a very, and I was just listening to Bill Maher last, last week, I think it was a week or two ago, they were talking about kind of the civil war and how, you know, at that point, people pretty much lived in the North and the South and they were opposed to each other. Well, now it's like everyone's kind of mixed in. Like people live all over the country in cities, big and small, who are on different sides of you know, politics. And that's, that's a much even more dangerous situation when we're all kind of living amongst each other, political, you know, rivals. Whereas in the, eight, you know, 1860 civil war, people were generally kind of living separately. Sure. Well, I mean, and within the last week, obviously you've, you've seen uh, some of the headlines, I'm sure, where you had a, 
A, a Republican teenager was murdered in, in North Dakota because someone thought that he was a, a member of uh, a, rag, a MAGA Republican extremist group. I heard about, um, heard about that, yeah. And, and you had an 83-year-old grandma who was you know, going door-to-door about a ballot uh, proposition who was shot in the back for uh, doing so. Abortion, right? Yeah. Uh, in Michigan. And, and these are the kinds of things that I, I think you can expect if we continue down this road, you're going to see more of. Um, and, you know, previously it was a Republican, you know, congressman that got shot at a, a congressional baseball game. Um, again, all of these are uh, part and parcel of this idea that we don't need to listen to certain people on the political spectrum that we disagree with. Um, and, and yeah, if, if that catches and, and becomes something that, um, you know, society as a whole believes in, um, then you can expect more violence and you can expect, you know, things that, you know, might approximate a, a civil war. But, but again, we're not there. We don't have to get there. But lawsuits like this are how we do. That's how we get there. I mean, I, I think the, you know, the idea of, of, of silencing people, um, whether it's, you know, on the left or the right, whatever, we see more of this where people don't want to don't want to hear from folks, their opinions, their views, or people are scared to say what they think, which is another problem in a free society. Um, it makes me very nervous where, where things could could end up, uh, especially with this big, you know, we have the midterms coming up, which will you know impact how the Congress is organized. But but really, I, I think the, the big like I said before, the, the big one is who's going to be who's going to be the Republican nominee and very well could be Trump. And is it going to be Biden or somebody else? And you know, whoever those two people are, who wins, who loses, it almost doesn't matter. I, th- I think it's probably maybe worse if a Republican were to lose, you know, closely again, because um, I, frankly, I think they're, you know, conservatives are <laughs> a lot more, <laughs> more armed. But I mean, it doesn't really, you know, it, it's just it's kind of the idea that people don't accept what happened and then what that, you know, what that leads to. And this has happened in many countries um, over over the over history. It, it is. And, and there's, you know, corruption, which, which exists uh, in all governments, um, part of human nature, but it also, it takes on an entirely different, uh, you know, experience and feel and consequence when that corruption is, is known and publicized and then allowed to continue. Um, you know, most people don't realize that, you know, the FBI had something like, I think 17,000 pages of, um, of documents uh, that where they were, you know, keeping track of the movements and activities of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, that was not widely known. I mean, we know now looking back at history. Um, COINTELPRO, right? Wasn't that the COINTELPRO yeah. and and you know written orders now that we can see copies of where um, you know the FBI was trying to you know arrange for him to be caught with uh, you know illicit drugs that you know he didn't possess, but you know trying to. Um, diminish his ability to to speak and and be involved in in the civil rights movement and so forth, and and while that was you know absolutely a violation of, of his rights and and was unconstitutional at the time, it wasn't widely known. Um, but now you know it it is because of of the internet, because of the ability to know what's going on. I mean, last week you had the FBI roll in on a, a Catholic pro-life speaker in his house in, um, you know, his rural house in Pennsylvania. And and at gunpoint, you know, holding he and his wife and his seven little kids, you know, basically hostage in their own house while they arrested their dad for literally no reason that would justify a SWAT raid on somebody's house. And that is known 
And if we allow that to continue, then it, it is actually, I would say, worse than the even more egregious things that took place, you know, back in, in earlier parts of American history, because that cannot be allowed to happen in a free country. Well, we saw, you know, in, in Homer, the Hupers, Paul and, and Marilyn, and I mean, granted, she did kind of look like, she kind of looked like the woman that was in, but I mean, it wasn't her. And I actually interviewed him and Chris Kirka when um, they were running for governor, lieutenant governor a month ago. Yeah. We but, talked about it. I mean, they, they came in and just kind of didn't eat what he said. They didn't even tell me what they were doing. And it was full on kind of raid with, you well, know, with well, agents. Exactly. And, and, and in that situation, and just like with, the, that was the wrong person, just like with the Hoke family in, in Pennsylvania that we we're just talking about, even if the, the dad in that situation had committed the crime that he's, you know, now being charged with and, and arrested for, there is no justification justification for them to be raiding their house. Just like with the Hoopers, there was absolutely no justification, even if they had committed the supposed crime, which they didn't, for them to to come in, have their kitchen door, you know, beaten down, held in handcuffed and interrogated for three hours, have their copy of the Declaration of Independence confiscated. I mean, what's the justification for that? There is none. It is simply public intimidation. And then you find out, well, it wasn't even them. And and the fact was the only thing that they did was go to a speech and hear the president speak. Literally, that is the only thing that they did. Committed no crime, and yet now they've got a broken kitchen door and an experience of being interrogated for three hours in their house in Alaska, of all places. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, uh, the, the you know, the idea that, that the, you know, some people think the government's always good. And, I mean, we saw this with Randy Weaver and... Uh, and even, you know, David Koresh in, in the 90s, I mean, the same kind of deal. It's like people, um, Randy Weaver, is, was, I think it was wife and kid were killed. And and he was maybe doing something, you know, the gun that he got, they sold him the gun. It was an undercover agent and the sawed off, you know, shotgun and this siege that happened. So um, I, I think, we you know, I, I think we need to have law enforcement. And I think it's important that we have laws. But I also think, you know, the government just shouldn't be given a you know, kind of carte blanche, do whatever you want, and then we have to trust what they do. Sure. Well, you see situations like, you know, what's now in the news about the, you know, supposed kidnapping plot in Michigan of the governor. And and the more you read, you find out that most of the people involved were all working for federal law enforcement agencies and providing the funds for this supposed, you know, criminal uh, activity. And then, you know, the digger you deep, uh, the deeper you dig, you, you find out that, they were literally trying to create a crime where no crime existed. Um, and, yeah, if someone was, you know, out trying to, you know, kidnap the governor, arrest him, prosecute him. There's laws against that. Absolutely. But what about the law enforcement that is, in essence, creating crimes, which never would have happened absent their creating them? That's kind of the same with the Randy Weaver situation at the Ruby Ridge. Well, like, like I said, I'm glad you came in and, and, and chatted. I, I, um, I, I happen to believe this is a very important uh, case, um, not positive, and, and it's um, kind of shocked me, and maybe not shocked, but it's frustrated me how, how many people have cheered this on as a win, and I mean, I think you, I'm sure you see the, you know, postings or, you know, articles or, you know, people, things in the media that, that cheer this on as a positive, and, and I, I think it's totally the opposite of that, and it'll it'll be... Interesting where this, you know, this is going to be over the next few months. We're going to see where this ends up. But, I mean, it could take potentially even a lot longer than that if there's a ruling and an appeal and how, you know, how, how far it goes. And are you, are you able, I mean, are you raising money? Are you trying, like, how are you, you know, paying? Are you, is he helping you out pro bono or is it you have to pay for sure. this? Uh, no, this is, this is something that I have to raise. Um, and if you 
uh, happen to get a minute, you can pop over to davidlegal.org and, uh, and see a, you know, a fundraising appeal there. Uh, certainly anyone who is, is looking at this case, I hope would see that it's important. Um, it, it is far, um, you know, bigger than just me or, or my you know, particular race for the state house in Alaska. Um, you've got support, you know, for the lawsuit coming from out of state. Uh, and uh, I was talking to somebody recently, a friend of mine, and, and they said, you know, I agree, but I don't like, I don't like David Eastman and he's a distract, he's a problem and he's um, kind of a nuisance. And I said, don't you understand what that lot, I mean, that, that logic where that could end up? What if one day they don't like you and you're in a position of, of power, you know? Yeah, there's um, uh, there's a scene in the movie Man for All Seasons that um, you know, really stood out to me, and it's when you know uh, Thomas More is is arguing over why it would be a terrible idea um, to you know set aside and, and tear down you know various laws in England uh, in order to you know catch and arrest and prosecute the devil um, and and. You know, someone's saying, well, you know, the devil's, you know, in in this situation, um, well, the devil would be using these laws, you know, abusing them and, and using them to, you know, hurt people and, and you know, do evil. Um, so shouldn't we just, you know, cut down those laws so that we could, you know, prosecute the devil? And he says, absolutely not. You know, he's saying um, in one of the lines, he says, you know, in England is is filled with with all these little laws that are, are there to protect uh, due process that are there pr- to protect individual rights that are there to you know restrict uh, tyranny and and if you think for a moment that you'll be able to you know somehow restrain evil by by tearing them down um, you know his conclusion is once you know you've gotten all those rules and, and laws torn down and then the devil turns on you um, what's to hold him back all the laws being gone and knocked down um, and they're there for a good well, that's reason. That's the point I told I told this person. I said, you know, you, you don't like him. You, you you don't want him there. You want to. You're okay with you know kind of doing this, doing this um, process or you know using this process to get rid of him. You know that that's okay. That's that's a that's a position. But then what? Where does that? Where does that? You know what does that lead to in the end? Like how do you how do you? What's the final conclusion of that? Well, anybody part of any group that the government de- deems not you know against the you know, constitution, or I guess, you know, against the government, then they can remove that person or they can prevent that person from, I mean, that, that's just to me a crazy kind of concept. Sure. Well, and, and again, you've, you've got these rules in place. Um, you've got these laws. You've got our constitution, state and the federal level. Um, one of the main reasons that we have a constitution, one of the main reasons that, you know, instead of being a monarchy, we chose a constitutional form of government in the 1700s was because a constitution is one of the best checks against the mob. And I'm not talking Italians in, in nice suits. The, the mob of pitchforks and, and nooses and, and all of the things that, um, you know, people can do that are evil once, um, you know, there's chaos and, and you have a whole, you know, crowd rushing in, in judgment to hang someone or, or something like that. Um, and what I see in cancel culture today is, you know, those first few steps of, of the mob, which... Um, you know, our founding fathers fought against and, and wrote constitutions against and so forth. And, and I think it's important for those, particularly, um, you know, my colleagues on, on the left side of the spectrum, to recognize that that mob will not simply go after conservatives. 
That well, mob is is something that we must fight now today in, in the form of cancel culture because that's you know the, what we're fighting today. But innocent until proven guilty is part of our DNA as Americans, is part of our Constitution. And, and what you see in this court case is a judge that's saying based on, on media headlines – and, and, you know, people that have no particular personal knowledge of events saying, well, those Oath Keepers are, are bad people because, you know, they've been effectively, you know, canceled. And therefore, if you don't disavow them, if you don't, um, you know, acknowledge that they're bad people, well, then, you know, now you need to be punished politically or in my case, legally, because I am right now insisting on innocent until proven. Well, wait, 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 you know, you're talking about this, this idea of... Um you know, cancel culture, we see that manifest on social media, Twitter, Facebook, people getting banned. But you're right, um, the mob can turn, and it does turn, on sometimes the people that, 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 that are leading it. I mean, Robespierre, French Revolution, he was the guy, and then until he wasn't, and they killed him. Um, Russian, you know, Revolution, many of the, of the Bolsheviks, you know, most of them got killed by Stalin. Um, you know, th that's kind of the, the, the extreme, you know, end of it. But even, you know, I, I tell my progressive friends, some of them are kind of in this kind of woke mob or they're part of it or they, or, or they won't speak out against it. I mean, Libby Bacalar, my friend recently got kind of canceled or, or really attacked because of her position on supporting Mary Peltola. And then she was all of a sudden told she was a white savior. And I mean, they just, they just piled on her, you know, and I, it's, it's anybody is potential victim to this. And it's, even if you're part of it, I mean, even if you're maybe leading it, you know, I saw this stupid, I don't know if you, a few months ago, the Salmon sisters, this whole mess about, these women in Homer that there was a dress and a tunic and somebody decided to look like a cuss buck. And they, I mean, it was just as craziness. You know, they're, they're, they're being accused of perpetrating genocide for, for, for where, you know, a dress. It's, it's, um, it's craziness, you know, and it's, yeah. I just read this book, the rise of the new Puritans. And it kind of talks about the, this idea that these people, they, they want to control, you know, what you watch, what you read, sports, how you dress, where you go, who, you know, and it's, it's, they don't want to hear. It's all about the ends, the political ends, or 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 the mean or the you know and how, no, the means to get there doesn't matter. Yeah, and how quickly do we get to you know Iran, uh, where people are on the streets, you know, beating other people up because they're not wearing the right you know attire, uh, or they happen to be walking with the wrong type of person at a certain time which of is, day. Which is wild right now that that those protests over the hijab. I mean, I, I wonder where that's going to end up. I mean, that's a that's a. It's a pretty, it's going to be interesting how that kind of, where that concludes. Yeah, well, and, and we can hope for the best in Iran, but, you know, today we need to be fighting our moving in that direction. And, and we have uh, all these little rules and policies and regulations designed to protect due process, designed to protect the idea that, you know, you can't, um, you know, treat someone as guilty until they actually are guilty, until they confess or, or are found guilty in a court of law. And right now with January 6th, you are not seeing that. Well, I agree that the innocent until proven guilty is kind of in our, in our, in our DNA, but, but it, it seems to be changing for some. Some people are just very happy to, you know, be the judge, jury, executioner and, and all at once and not give people due process or not give people the right to a trial or, or, or whether it's not a criminal thing, but just the right to explaining themselves or, you know, being able to give their side of it. Yeah. And, and that's always been a temptation and it was a temptation in the 1700s. Um, and, and frankly, it's something that the constitutional form of government that we have restrains. And, and there are, you know, there, there are inconvenient things about our constitution, the fact that we have one. Uh, but 
what we're looking at now, the, the setting aside of these uh, rules, the setting aside of, of the Constitution, it, we're looking at an advocacy for an entirely different form of government, not a constitutional form of government, maybe something you know, more approaching popular democracy or, or what they had in you know, the early days of um, you know, some of the Greek city-states. Uh, there is a discussion to be had. There are you know, some positives to that form of government, but there are also some huge negatives. And, and well, I, think, I think the, the, the saying is a, a true democracy is you know, five wolves and you know, two sheep voting on what's for dinner. Yeah, I think Churchill might have said as much, and and he also said the he also said the greatest um, argument against democracy is a five minute conversation with the average voter, <laughs> which yeah. sometimes you know. You can well, yeah, there there's a, or laugh at. There's a point to having elected representatives who can um, hopefully through a deliberative process, um, you know, with. Uh, committees and hearings and evidence, you know, sort through, all right, you know, the, the popular sentiment is, is X, is X the way we want to go. And, and so you have, uh, if nothing else, uh, a pause on emotions for a time because the legislative process is designed intentionally to be slow uh, to change things. And so you at least have that check um, so that emotions can, you know, level down and then you can make hopefully a, a better decision. But um, but that's not the way every country in the world works. Um, that's not the way that, uh, you know, uh, many countries have worked over the years. So in order for us to preserve that, you don't get that and maintain that and keep that just by, you know, standing back and watching. You get that by actually being able to articulate and defend why it is that a constitution is worth having. Well, I just, it's funny, I, on Saturday, Sunday, there was a homelessness committee meeting in Anchorage here, and somebody gave me a tip, and Randy Salt, who's a new member, he basically said, you know, we're talking about drugs and this, all these problems. And he said, look, I can solve, you know, the drug problem. I, you know, we start executing drug dealers. And then he kind of said, um, look, that's not going to happen. We're not. But he did say that was a solution. And then I posted the clip of the audio and I said, this is what he said. And the amount of people who were kind of advocating for that kind of, you know, position, saying, oh, Singapore and, and this and that. And I, I just, you know, do people appreciate that we have a process and there's due process and you know, we don't execute people without, you know, a trial. And then what if, what if it's their kid who's given drugs to, I mean, like, you know, it's just people don't think about these things and they, it's emotional. Sure. And the sure. idea that we can just execute people for deal. I mean, I hate drug dealers. I think mean, we should, you know, they should be punished or we should fix, fix, fix up the system and, you know, maybe make them not illegal. I don't know what the answer is, but I mean, we don't execute people in this country. And the fact that some people are well-known people, political people are saying, well, that's a good well, idea. You know, uh, I, I would say yes in principle, we don't execute people, but I would, I have to acknowledge that there are people we've executed. No, we, um, we don't just say, you know, boom, you're dealing drugs, executed. I mean, there's well, a trial, yeah, there's but, a due process, you know, there's a... Frankly, in the Obama administration, we, you know, publicly had to acknowledge for the first time that he publicly, ex publicly executed an American citizen in Yemen, a, a teenager. And, uh, the, and there the, was the, no due process. The drone, yeah. And, and uh, obviously there's, you know, members of law enforcement who have violated the law and have killed people, in fact, executed them. Um, and, and we need to step away from that. The, the stepping away from that is not, you know, trying to, you know, execute more people of some other kind of race or, or on the other side of a political spectrum. The, the, the way to step away from that is a step towards the constitution and due process and enforce those very inconvenient at times, 
rules and and requirements to delay action. And and you're going to have, and I think it's important that we acknowledge, you're going to have drug dealers who um, get out of jail and and continue to, to sell drugs as opposed to a process where we simply just executed them on the spot because we caught them with drugs and you know they were trying to sell to someone. Um, yes, that would be efficient in a, in a san, uh, sense, but over the long-term course of a nation, that would be detrimental well, I mean, to I mean, you, 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 our you can, way of life. You can, be really, you can be really safe and secure in a police state. I don't want to live in a police state. Well, know? yeah, in a prison, I guess, is, is you know, one of the safer places to be if you're in your you know, cell and it's just you. They, they can't really get to you, and, and you can't really get to anybody else to cause mischief. And um, it's, it's sad that you know, sometimes um, we're there, it's, it appears that some people in society are advocating for that or, or that we move closer to that, and that's, that's obviously not where you know, my, my part of the state is advocating. My, my, my dad was in the Navy, and he was in Spain, um, Back when um, Franco was was you know in charge, the dictator, and you know he he said uh, one of the good things about it was you could leave your door open and nobody would nobody would break in, nobody would come in, nobody would t- steal from you. But the flip side of that is you know it's it's such an oppressive state, and sometimes people who don't do anything get get that's a, that's the problem. It's like you didn't do anything wrong, but you get sucked up into it, and you have no rights, you have no appeal, you have no process, due process, and and it's, it makes me nervous how many people. And it's not just people on the right, it's people on the left and right who, who just want to be in a place, live in a society where the government or they can decide who's guilty and they can deal with it. And this is a not American. It's, I mean, I guess it's always in our DNA to, you know, I think in, in the end we're all kind of maybe a little bit totalitarian. But it, it, it's, it's scary how, how many people seem to want to kind of go that way. You know, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking back, one of the, um, one of the saddest uh, days that I had in, in thinking back to my experience at West Point wasn't actually at West Point. It was a few years after. And um, you know, I remember reading when they changed their policy on closing doors. Um, you know, when I was, was at West Point, um, no student, myself included, had keys to our dorm rooms. We didn't. You weren't allowed to lock them. You were never given a key. Um, Doors were, were open. If they weren't open, they were at least closed and unlocked. And, and that worked well uh, during, during my time there. Um, and, and that was the you know, history and tradition of West Point for you know, what, centuries, many, many, many years at least. And, and yet we have now come to a point where that no longer works. Uh, and now instead of you know, requiring people to you know, have their doors open or, or unlocked, um, now, you know, last I heard the, the policy was they're encouraging you to close your doors and, and, you know, as a way to tamp down on sexual assaults and, and those kinds of things. And, and that is just incredibly sad to think that you had a, a community that was able to um, police itself and, and had an honor code that, that was, you know, largely abided by and, and people were, were proud of. Um, and now you've come to a place where, you know, that's, that's all reversed. Um, and, you know, it, it can be done. Uh, I experienced, I saw it, uh, it can work. But I think those, uh, those communities, those cultures are, um, are the exception rather than the rule. And, and I think, um, you know, when you can look back, uh, you know, I had a friend that moved to Virginia um, back when I was in high school, and he said, um, you know, it was terrible. It was in the news, you know, somebody had uh, – 
their chainsaw stolen from their garage. It was like the worst crime in like in the last six months. Uh, that's why I was in the papers. And I was like, all right, you know, there was a time um, in our communities where, you know, there were at least some parts of the, of the country where, where that was the case. Uh, and now we are, are so far in the other direction where, you know, now we've got, um, you know, mobs taking over mini marts and, and um, you know, people in, in places of, of the country where you wouldn't have expected it to be, but now, you know, mugging I mean, a few, a few months ago, broad daylight. A few months ago, I was in my, my condo, my neighbor, we were having a beer and it was, you know, 1130 and person ran through the neighborhood. Na- I didn't recognize him. I, you know, I know most of the kids in the neighborhood and, and, you know, 20 minutes later, the cops are walking down the street and little neighborhood and, I couldn't tell at first, but they, I saw a dog, and I was kind of like at midnight, and then they were like full, com, you know, combat SWAT regalia, and they said, did you see anybody? I said, well, in fact, we did see somebody run back there, and where they were going, there was no really exit. There was a fence, and then there was kind of some houses. Um, it turns out this was one of the people that fled the scene after somebody at Taku Lake near my house got in some kind of skirmish, and they go to the car, and they pulled out a gun, and they executed the guy, three shots. And this is like, <laughs> this is nuts. And, I, you know, I, I, I worry about society. I mean, hope, hopefully things improve, but we're, we're in a kind of weird place right now. Yeah, well, um, if uh, you go back to the founding of the country, there were, you know, some pretty strong arguments made. You know, either you have the ability to regulate yourself, um, whether through religion or, or ethics and, and, you know, the ability to have a, a moral compass and stick to it, or, um, you know, the government has to come in. And, and provide that regulation. And, and the contrast made at the time was, you know, the Bible on the one hand and the bayonet on the other hand. And, and one or the other two, you know, will, will rule uh, in a society so that you have some semblance of, of peace and order and we don't devolve to Mogadishu. Um, and the more, you know, that we step further and further away from, um, uh, you know, virtue and, and morals and ethics and religion, I, I think the more we invite and, in, in, in essence, are asking for the government to, to step in um, and and provide a, a tyrannical, you know, result to what mm-hmm. would otherwise be chaos. Um, so it, it is just, that is where, you know, we seem to be heading right now. Well, um, it's been, Representative it's been great talking to you. I know you're busy, you got to run, but thank you again for coming on and talking about this. I, for the folks listening, I think this is what's going on with you right now is very important and it should be, it should be paid attention to. And if, if you're uh, able to help with your legal fund, what is it? David Eastman dot or David, uh, David legal.org. It's a good place to start. Okay. And uh, you know, best luck to you. Like I said, I, I think this is a very uh, potential dangerous precedent and, and I, I really hope you prevail because I think if you win, everybody wins. And if you lose, then we all lose. So we'll uh, be following that very closely, but thanks again for coming in and talking about it. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll uh, kind of see where things end up. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks again, Representative Eastman. And folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or uh, Podbean or anything, please please give us a good review and a like. We appreciate that. And uh, stay tuned for the next podcast. Landline.